a good day. So today's movie is Blast from the Past with the adorable Brendan Fraser. And I'm going to cheat a little and talk about something that I forgot to mention when we recorded this episode. And it's this great thing in this movie is Brendan Fraser's character, Adam. There's something so nice and sweet and adorable about him. And he's trying so hard to get Eve to like him. And he's having the darndest time because he's just being a nice guy the way his parents trained him to be. And he's a big dork throughout this movie. And there's something incredibly relatable about Adam in this film to a guy like me. I don't know about Kelly. It's my intro, so I get to talk about myself. He's just trying to be a good dude. And I think a lot of us don't want to be that, you know, like incel kind of nice dude. It's like, no, we just want to be like cool and chill and nice. And Adam is the awkward version of us. And it's incredibly relatable. And he is that role model for us of learning to be nice but also be a man too but not in a gross nathan fillion kind of way but adam figures out how to be assertive and how to be masculine but not overbearing and how to be nice but also just a good guy and this movie is great because of that he is someone we can look up to and also feel totally relatable to it's brendan frazier in blast from the past Welcome, everyone, all all you people, all the ones listening right now to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I am one of the hosts, a singular host, Kelly McCrillis. Sitting across from me with water on his lap is Ryan Graves. I wish I could squirt some water out at you, but... From your lap? Yeah, no, we no, talking no, about from right my now? mouth, because I'm drinking... The, did you, and would did be you hear that? Squirt, That's the no, audience it would running come away. Out, I would spit it like a fish. Okay. That's cool. Or like a llama. All I can do is slurp. I'm going to slurp at you. Well, on that note, um, can I tell you a really gross story? I, If you've seen... Do I seem jumpy a little bit today? Does it involve pooping in the public city, Portland? No. Well, that was your problem last time. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but not in public. Well, not in public public, but a public bathroom. You said in the public city of Portland. Well, you know, in a manner of speaking. Okay. In a manner of pooping. Do you like... Do you like bugs? <laughs> Billy, do you like gladiator movies? <laughs> I like bugs. No, I don't. I hate bugs. I, you know, I, um, <laughs> do you like the dark? Um, occasionally. Okay. I just want to play the Goonies clip here. I like the dark. I love the dark. But I hate nature. I hate nature. <laughs> I, I don't mind bugs, generally speaking. I think some of them do good for, for, for my life. Some of them do, do bad evil things from my life but you know they're they're all there for a reason and there's an ecosystem we're all living in and everybody everybody can coexist and whatever i hate house centipedes oh gross let me um can i tell you can i tell you a story oh tell me okay i get home the other day from work robin comes and answers the door she gives me like a, a kiss and she's like honey how's your day lovely robin and you know, Robin Robin is usually like sometimes home, sometimes not home, but whenever I come home, we're like, "Hey, what's up? I love you." You know, we we go through that routine. Sure. This time when I came home, it just seemed a little extra good. Like it was extra Aww. good to be home and I was feeling super comfortable. Uh, it was a long day at work, but there's something about how Robin was acting where she's nice and kind and lovely and, you know, super sexy. I love you, babe. Yeah. Anyway, but there was just something extra. 
And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this I feel really good being home right now. At one point in time after coming home, I start walking up the stairs. And Robin, Robin walks me up the stairs and <laughs> holds my hand. <laughs> and um, if you can recall, audience, this, this story started off with a bug analogy. So it's, it's, like, it's like Hitchcock's bomb or gun under the table. Sure. Bomb under the table. Bob under the table. That's what it is. <laughs> it's like Orson Welles' bomb in a car. Um, basically she's walking me up the stairs and she's like, Hey, darling, dearest husband, I want, I'm going to tell you, I need to show you something upstairs. And so she walks me up and she starts explaining that earlier today, she saw a house centipede mm. in our bedroom on our bed, on our like, marital bed. It's his <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> Not right now. Not while I'm in my fragile state, Ryan, as she brings me upstairs holding my hand as if I was going to walk into the next room and see that somebody had died. (laughs) (laughs) She, we turn the corner and I'm expecting that she has destroyed the bug. Yeah. And she has shown me the carcass and she needs me to clean it up because she's like, it's too gross. And I understand because they're gross. So Robin, uh, I don't see a bug at first. And, but what I do see is like a, like a a to go container. Uh And it's just sitting on the bed. And I just look at her and she looks me in the eyes and I can already tell she's sorry. Oh no. And she just says, no, 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 no. I tried to capture it. No, 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 no. I went downstairs to get something to capture it with. (laughs) When I came back up, it was gone. No, 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 no. It's in the room. Her eyes are so sorry. And so I just turned and looked at the bed and then immediately I flashed back to earlier that morning. When I woke up at 5 (gasps) a.m., To a dream. I was dreaming of a spider crawling up my leg. Oh, no, 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 And so what I did is I woke up and I swat whatever it was off my leg. And I was like, oh, that was a dream spider. Oh, no, It was just a dream spider. I look over to my side of the bed where the covers are uncovered. I see legs all over the place. And so I realized that earlier that day, a house centipede, a large, disgusting no, 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 no. insect that has no business being in my bed was oh, on no, my no. leg. Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe nope, close nope. to my private parts. No, no, no. New, no, no, new, new. No, no, thank you. And I just look at my wife, who I love dearly, <laughs> and I am, I'm not going to use the word shame, but I was sad. I was sad <laughs> that our relationship had this in it. Robin, I love you so much, but- you let I still the bug can't. Get Robin left. You. Robin left to Kansas this week. She left me alone. Have fun. There is a bug in my room because I took it find apart. It? I took I took my room apart. I could not find it. But could it have gone underneath the bedroom door and out into a different area? Into the rest of the house, sure. Which is slightly better. It could have gone into your future baby nursery. <sighs> it might be. Why would you say that? It might be laying eggs under the the carpet. Stop it. <laughs> it might be in the bathroom across the hall, it, getting ready to so have a party. I have Robin left for Kansas a couple of days after this happened, and I've slept on the couch <laughs> the last two nights because it is cooler down there. It, the heat uh, rises. A, a, it was 115 degrees a couple of days ago. Hello, welcome to Portland, city of rain. Did uh, you survive Sunday night? Sunday night was fine because that was the day I put the air conditioner in which this house centipede probably worked. came from in our room. But it 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 worked. 
My yeah, air conditioner was working double time and it could not keep up with how hot. No, it ours was. ours worked. Uh, ours was like a twelve hundred BTU like clunker. The thing is so big. Good. Good we got for it for guys. free from a friend who's and it was in their garage. That's where the house centipede came from. Anyway, so this whole like the last five days, whenever like something touches my leg here, weird, I've uh, just been like, uh, 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 I haven't seen it again, but if I did, I would smack Ryan. I'm not kidding. I would smash it with my hand. Yeah. Um, here's, like, it's not getting away. Here's the thing. I was changing Theo's diaper the other day, and I saw a spider coming down the curtain that was next to the changing table. Uh-huh. And ordinarily, when I see spiders, I'm like, eh, it's just a spider. Who cares about the spider? Yeah. And Sarah, I'll even take spiders outside the house. If Sarah sees the spider, she's like, kill it. Well, Sarah's a violent human. Yeah. No, she makes me kill it. She makes me be the violent one, and she watches the violence, and then she kind she of like, smiles. She goes, good. Uh, but since the spider was near my child, there was an instinctual thing. I wasn't even thinking. It was like when Luke it's is like, deflecting I was just trying bolts. To, I was just trying to say, it's some baby. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I killed that spider you killed Charlotte. in a moment. Oh, you yeah. killed Charlotte. That's, that spider was getting near my child. No, sir. There's this whole in your ceiling that I always look at behind your head and it used to hold a hook. Oh yeah. But every time I see it, I think spider. So sorry, everyone. You're going to have nightmares now about <laughs> bugs coming out of your ceiling. Welcome to our romance podcast. Hey, before Good. we get to, um, the today's, today's movie, this yeah. week's movie. Yeah. yeah. I want, which can I say way better than a house centipede? Yes. Way, way better. I don't want to give away my, how I felt about it. I'd like to introduce this new sporadic moment, m- moment, New sporadic segment? Uh, segment called movies that are in theaters that maybe you want to go to. And I want to talk about it for a few seconds. Oh, lay it on me. I went and saw Cruella uh, over the weekend. Yes. Uh, I needed to go uh, do something in an air conditioned room because it was lit- guys. It was 115 degrees in for Portland. two days. It even hit 117 at one point. Had to get out of the heat. So I was like, ah, I don't know. And like you and I had actually been pretty diligent about catching up oh, on yeah. movies that have been playing. We saw Sparks Brothers. We saw a In the Heights We saw In the Heights. Musical. Uh-huh. Uh, which, which we're also going to have on our Patreon this this month. It's our bonus episode. Yeah, so get so on check it. it out. Come, come check us out. Uh, so I was like, ah, I could either watch Fast 9 and not mm. know what happened in Fast 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. You haven't seen any of them? No. How did you miss them? Well, at this point, I'm like, I can't get even started. You can go. Aren't they showing them all in theaters? The, yeah, they did that. Let's or, do or, it. Do that. Let's do it. Was I've only seen the first one. that or A Quiet Place 2, and I haven't seen A Quiet Place 1. All these sequels. That The Quiet Place 1 came out when like Sarah was pregnant, and I was like, ah, I don't want to go. I feel, I feel like staying in. <laughs> so I didn't You wanted even, to see a loud place. Uh, yeah, and I was so like, then give me a loud place. Um, so the only original movie was the reboot of the sequel to the sequel of the reboot, which was Cruella. This is like the fourth, mm-hmm. fourth Cruella well, film. Well, let's lay it out. You had one in a round Dalmatians. Well, the the Disney animated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you had uh, the live action one hundred and one Dalmatians starring mm-hmm. Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. Then one hundred and two Dalmatians, and now Cruella with Emma Stone, produced by Glenn Close. Yep. Uh, listener. I really enjoyed Cruella. It's it's a fun movie. It's it's very stylish. It's set in the seventies and it's got this kind of punk aesthetic in a Disney sort of way. Yeah, and it's essentially um, Devil Wears Prada for preteens. Oh, okay, very that's cool. really it. Nice. Um, so I had a really good time. I recommend it. Go see it in a movie theater because wait, it's who's got Meryl a, Streep in this sense? Um, uh, Emma Thompson. Oh. 
There's double Emmas in this. Yeah, it's Emma versus Emma. Wait a second. So, but Emma Stone ends up like having a good end of her movie where she gets back with her boyfriend who makes grilled cheese. <laughs> yeah, Adrian Grenier shows up. She's like, I paid $8 for this Gouda. <laughs> Uh, and all you're doing is killing puppies. It's it's this weird thing where Disney is having its cake and eating it too, where Emma Stone's Cruella is morally ambiguous, and it's like, I'm a bad guy, but sympathize for me because I'm not that bad. Check out this badder guy that we want to make the sure. villain. I uh, like there's uh, there were a series of YouTube videos like that where like I don't know it's like college humor or somebody was like kind of taking the piss out of Disney for having like villains. Yeah, and they're like. They're like, you know, um, Melissa, Maleficent isn't that bad. Um, and Ursula's not that bad. They're just misunderstood. Right. Because like this girl just came down to my place and kicked in my door and was, and it's like, it's taking the stories out of context to give voice to villains. And there's something interesting there, but it's overplayed at this point. I yeah. feel like, well, this movie sets up a new franchise. That's like a rebooted franchise and I'm on board. I want to watch see- like obvious sequels coming forth. Okay, so it's but, pretty fun. So so you're saying that like we can get Pongo and Perdita later on. And 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 then at that I'm point not gonna split. I'm just well, hold on. Say. No, 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 so so but like just follow me down. Okay. How sympathetic can I be when Emma Stone is like those those spots would look good on my feet. I know. It's uh, I, don't, I don't know why she says that accent. <laughs> it, it's like the way they do it in this movie, it's like somehow they justify it for the runtime where it's like, okay, I could be on board for now. For the runtime. For the for, for the, this film. Okay. But I don't know about future events that have to canonically happen. I don't know if I can be on board for that. But somehow they won me over for the first one. Yeah. So I'm 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 interested to see what they do for the next Maybe one. Maybe this is the MCU of Disney. Let's see it happen. That'd <laughs> you know be how, weird. You know how <laughs> like they always try Angelina to... Jolie just shows up. She's like, I'm here, bitches. Maleficent's I'm... down to This is how we get to the Kingdom Hearts movie. <laughs> this is how we do yes. it. <laughs> yes. Maleficent's like, I'm down to clown. Check it out. And then Sora comes in with his keyblade and just slices her down. Haley Joel Osment just comes in being like, I'm still <laughs> I want, here. I want the movie where Haley Joel Osment plays adult Sora. Yes. <laughs> and no, it plays kid Sora yes. with a wig, but he's Haley Joel Osment yes. as he is right now. With a beard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so that's my recommendation. Uh, if you're thinking about seeing Krella, go see it. It's fun. Get out there, kids. Uh, well, Ryan, that's thanks for telling us that. This, I mean, you didn't tell us a story. Thanks for telling us about Cruella. Can you tell me a story now about Blast from the past? Yeah. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love. Quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. So, Blast from the Past, made in 1999, turn of the century, Y2K coming for you. Um, it's start- There's rollerblading in this movie. <laughs> There's roller- yeah, there is. It's very 90s. It starts out in 1961 during the Cuba Missile Crisis, and we meet 1962 during the Cuba Missile Crisis. Are you sure? They say 1962 like eight times in this movie. Mm, Well, we'll we'll see. (laughs) Um, So we meet Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek, and he is an eccentric inventor, and he has fashioned for himself a fallout shelter. 
not a bomb shelter, fallout shelter. Mm-hmm. There is a difference. Yes. As <laughs> as, as he says once. <laughs> um, and uh, Cuba Missile Crisis happens. Christopher Walken freaks out at a cocktail party, sends all his friends home and says, let's just go downstairs, let this thing blow over, and then we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So they go downstairs, and the fallout shelter is an exact replica of their house. Hang out at the Winchester. <laughs> yeah. It's an exact replica of their house, and it's really impressive. It is really impressive. And like the reason why it's even more impressive is because it feels like a film set in a way that doesn't distract me from the movie. Yeah. Just because there's a lot of facades. Yeah. It's like, well, this seems to be some kind of warehouse that you shoot movies in, but I also understand that it's underground. Mm-hmm. And a, here's where movies just like, now just go with it. A jet stalls out and falls on that house that Christopher Walken lives in. Uh-huh. And it blows up right as they're going downstairs with like a pot roast and Sissy Spacek's there with Christopher Walken. And she's uh, super pregnant. She's super pregnant. And so like with with all of his instrumentation, because he's a genius, it's all going haywire. And basically at this point, he's like, it happened. Yeah, they he's bombed like, okay, us. they bombed us. The heat signature is well, nuclear. I'm locking so. us in for 35 years so that we don't like get tempted to go up and like then get radiation poisoning. Yeah. And so... Sissy SpaceX like, holy shit falls. Okay, I guess we're doing this. And then she goes into labor. And then unto us a son is born and his name is Adam. (laughs) Mm, That's perfect. Um, So we basically get to watch over the years Adam grow up Mm -hmm. downstairs in this... um, this uh, it's a fallout shelter yeah but it's but it is very much a home and lordy it is a hard film to watch after being in lockdown yeah i was getting uh, uh you know what i i knew where this movie was going and so it Wait, was have kind you seen of, this before lots of times okay you had two right yeah, yeah yeah it was i knew where this movie was going and so there was like this weird catharsis where i was like this was me last year. Yeah. And and I was like, don't worry, you're going to get out of it. And so the whole time I was I was feeling like a weird Sherpa for this movie character who doesn't exist in real life, who I'd already seen go through this. But I was like, oh, no, like I, I relate to you more now. Movie. Yeah, we we experienced one thirty fifth of what Adam experienced. And not even because we could still go outside and see our friends. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. do things. Uh-huh. Um, but it was like the relatable things of like, what else can we do inside? Yeah. And I like how progressively Sissy Spacek just gets more and more drunk and starts hiding more and more alcohol. And it's like that also is very relatable. Yeah, being for in sure. Lockdown. Um, but as he grows up, we also cut to this business that was put in overhead <laughs> to replace their house. Yeah. And at first it's a malt shop in the sixties. And then in the seventies, it turns into like this grungy like, bar, grungy disco bar. Um, but, I love that moment where like Barry white comes on. Is it Barry like, white or yeah. Marvin Gaye? No, it's Barry white. It's Barry white. Um, and they're like, what is this? He's like, you know, I kind of like it. I like it. And then it turns into like an eighties, like metal kind of biker bar. Yeah. And then it turns into a total dive in 1991. By dive, it still sounds like bar. It's, it's a, it's like a heroin den. Well, kind of it's, it, it it ends as a dive and then it's Ma's malt shop and she just gives it to her son. Who's, who's been there the whole time. And after that, it turns into a den. Yeah. A den. And, um, uh, but finally, finally events coincide where we're 40 minutes through the movie at this point in time. And, we still haven't like started any rom-com business. Right. Like we just have hints where we know that Brendan Fraser's mom wants him to meet a girl from Pasadena. Yeah. Even basically. if there are girls from Pasadena at yeah. this point. They, they, they think no that there could there. be mutants or something. Yeah. And so finally the door unlocks 
and Christopher Walken goes upstairs. <laughs> and he goes up into L.A. when it's L.A. at night. <laughs> yeah, but like L.A., this is, I don't know exactly where this was. Maybe it's like Chino or maybe it's, I, I don't I don't know, but it's it's like... It's it's like a part of town that in the late '90s was super rundown. Yeah, like and like the first things he runs into, he runs into like uh, like uh, a houseless person who's eating out of a garbage can, somebody thrown out of a bar who throws up. He meets um, a sex worker who's mm-hmm. on the street, and then um, he accidentally walks into a porn shop. Yeah. <laughs> so he it's runs very back overwhelming up. to Especially, people from the fifties. Like, yeah, you come from like straight laced, um, middle-class, well, not middle-class. He was high-class fifties. Yeah. Uh, then he's freaked out and he goes back downstairs. Yeah. But then there's an episode and Christopher Walken has a, maybe a heart attack. Uh, and so they decide they need to send Adam up to get supplies for them and Adam played by Brendan Fraser I don't even know if we've said yeah so sexy so sexy so talented and the way we're introduced to him is on his like 35th birthday where he takes his like hands away from his face and it's like oh Oh, and finally Brendan Fraser's here yeah I don't know if there's an actor I like more than Brendan Fraser just likability so charming he's so charming I'm so charmed by him uh so the the plan is Sissy Spacek and Christopher Walken are just going to keep living down there, but they just need supplies from above, but they don't want to go live above. They just want to well, get Sissy the supplies. Well, Sissy Spacek still wants to. She kind of wants but to, she but she's a little afraid. She doesn't, like, this could probably still be their home, but she might, like, they might move out from there yeah. while it's still their home base. And they're figuring, well, we can't go out on the weekly to get groceries, so go out and get us another 30 years supply of <laughs> stuff. It's like, okay. <laughs> I, I feel like I've they, always accepted that, but I'm now like, why can't you just go out and short trips if you're planning on it there's there's something so like uh, uh it's such a parody of the 1950s because it's like no i have one piece of information that's all i need to know to know that we can't probe this any further yeah so <laughs> that's the plan they send brendan fraser up and adam as a 35 year old man as we start to see behaves kind of this childlike innocence because he has only his parents as reference points to mm-hmm. behave and they're going to behave really nicely in front of him his and whole life. He's basically been uncorrupted, I guess is a good word. Yeah. Like, like innocent. He, he's, he also has like high moral fiber. Yeah. He had no methods of rebelling and he had no like influences of being anything but his parents. Right. Ah, well, I hope you like this. It's fresh sea or wrapped in seaweed or nori if you prefer. I love sushi. I love Lucy. Who doesn't? She's hilarious. Here you go. One champagne cocktail. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I thought only hookers drank those things. Well, I know mom sure likes them. And he's also wanted to meet a girl for like the last 15 years. Yeah, he's had no... I'm just like, I don't know. I wonder if Christopher Walken brought down some Playboys or something. I don't think so. Because uh, the first time he sees an ad for a... <laughs> For, uh, I think it's for like tanning lotion or sunscreen or something. And there's like a bikini babe in there. He's just like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I just hope that he sees that there are other girls that existed while he was growing up that maybe pictures of like Marie Antoinette or something. I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Only, only stuffy old rulers. (laughs) There must've been like, I've got to imagine that there's magazines or, but he said, he said he's never seen like a little girl before. Right. I think he meant in person. In person, okay. but it's such a sweet moment. Yeah, um, but he he walks out and he is just looking up into the sky and in childlike wonder. And he just like everybody else 
doesn't look at the sky very often, not like he is. Yeah. And so they just, I, this scene is so charming mm-hmm. where he's looking at the sky and everybody else stops and looks and like asks him what he's looking at. And he's like, it's just the sky. <laughs> and they just can't get it. Yeah. And he's just so amazed by it because he's never seen the sky. And then he sees this little girl and they have a cute moment. And then, oh, it's a weird joke now. <laughs> like, I thought it was hilarious when I first saw the movie. But then he sees this black male carrier and he's like, oh, my lucky stars, a Negro. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> and, and like, I feel like this movie is is far more self-aware than than like another movie that would be a little bit more tone deaf about it. Because right. what they're doing is pointing out a 50s nomenclature that shouldn't exist anymore (laughs) so i feel like it's not tone deaf no it's it's just it it feels kind of like uh is this is this weird is this bad is it racist i don't know because it doesn't really go anywhere well i think i think i think it is pointing out that it is of a racist time it just it just it's so light and fluffy of a movie that it doesn't stick with it and like say like now we're going to moralize about it it's just gonna like let you like move on with the movie afterwards and then the we'll say right now the movie is like kind of a satire but not really yeah because it's all well we'll get into that a little bit later but you know that's what you get at 45 minutes and you're like i see what you're kind of commenting about but you're not really making really sharp points you're just kind of saying the 50s are like this it's not it's not dramatic right like this movie this movie doesn't really get dramatic in in a fun late 90s way yeah yeah i appreciated it um but then he he goes into like he he realizes that in order to purchase like stuff has gotten more expensive <laughs> from yeah. the fifties. Um, and so he can't purchase all of the food that he wants to get and the batteries he wants to get for downstairs. And so he needs to go sell baseball cards. Yeah. And again, it's like they, they weren't, they weren't reselling baseball cards in the sixties. You know, like how did he know that there was a market for cards? No, I think he just brought the cards for good luck. But what was he expecting when he went into that shop? Um, well, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I I think uh, it said baseball cards on the outside. Yeah, yeah. But so we didn't get a sign that said we sell baseball cards. I see what you're saying, but like I don't know. I know that's the point. I'm like I don't care, but this movie like really like plays it loose with like its its logic, and I'm totally okay with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where he meets Alicia Silverstone because she keeps him from like getting swindled by this um, mm-hmm. by this really big guy who's who like has giant arms who runs the shop apparently and thus begins like her working for him in order to help him find all his supplies yeah she swindles him she's working for like a thousand bucks a week and i'm like good god you're making four thousand dollars a month i mean you're not going to work for him for a year but that's a lot of cash just to drive him around to a grocery store yeah i mean I mean, basically, I think what she does is he he offers to give her a card that's worth four thousand dollars, right? Yeah, and then she brings it back to him. And uh, so when he offers to like pay her for her services, she's like, "Well, I'm going to earn that four thousand dollars." Right. And so that makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. But it's just like this is not really skilled labor. You're just going to stores with him. I don't. Well, think. I don't know. Like, I mean, in the late '90s, it's a lot of money. But like these days, if you had somebody who was literally chaperoning you around for two hundred dollars a day, no, no, no. Yeah, for yeah, I pay I pay people to just drive on my movies. Yeah, and, but that's when it's like someone like. Like working on a Stranger Things or something like no, that. No, no, no. I'm saying we pay PAs now, like 150 to 200 a day. Really? Yeah. I got to get a new job. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, 
it's uh yeah, it didn't surprise me. Plus, she's basically not only being his like driver, but she's being his ambassador. Sure, but I do think the movie is saying a little bit is like she's kind of taking one over on him a little bit. I don't think so. I think we see that she is super honorable. I oh no, I don't think it was an honorable move. I thought it was a shrewd business move. I think it was like slightly shrewd, but yeah. like I don't I she could have gotten away like, with Like this is late 90s money. She could have said $2000 a week and he would have paid it. He would have, yeah, that's my point. He would have paid anything. He's, he doesn't know the difference. I know. And a thousand dollars a week, like for a guy who can definitely afford it is something that I don't, I don't think that's dishonorable. I think she was like, I need money. This will help me get, get out of a tight spot. She wasn't like swindling him. All right. <laughs> so anyway, they start working together and he is immediately attracted to her. Yeah, like a little lost puppy. Right, because, you know, she's Alicia Silverstone and he's lived in a bunker for years. Yeah. So this would happen to any of us. Mm -hmm. But there's something about her, because he's seen other women, but Mm -hmm. he kind of zoomed in on her. Yeah, um, I think it's because she also has a high moral fiber. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't let the guy swindle him, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm saying. She has high moral fiber. She's just also getting a little bit of hers. Mm -hmm. But she she's not into him because he's obviously insane. Yeah. Um, but he's just from the fifties, but oh, what's the difference? I don't know, right? See, there's your satire. Yep. Um, so she works for him and they slowly start developing. He has feelings and is very open about it, but she's like a couple different times. She's like, no, no, we're not doing that. And he's like, okay. And they move well, the, on. The big plot point is that he like lays that on the line. He's like, hey. I need a wife. <laughs> he's like, he wants to ask her out, but Alicia Silverstone's like, I know you're going to say, don't bother. Don't think about it. And she just full on rejects him. Yeah. And he's like, okay. And then he's like, all right, plan B. Can you help me find a girlfriend then? Well, a wife. Or a wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first he asks for a wife and she's like, cool. Okay. <laughs> and I think this is a really interesting plot because we have him. It's not a plot. It's, it's just a, this is a, a goal that they must accomplish. Yeah. And it's somebody who is doing a really weird job for somebody is asked to do an even weirder job. And the only thing that sells her on it, a person who is skeptical is the fact that he's so kind and nice mm-hmm. because it's a super creepy situation. Otherwise. Yeah. I mean, it's creepy anyway, but she can only really get there because he's so naive and kind, mm-hmm. but is it a facade? His, his niceness? No, no. I think that's what she's thinking. Oh, most oh of the yeah. Time. She's like, this guy, can this guy be for real? Or is he going to kill me? Right. Yeah. Because there's like some kind of fake sociopath <laughs> stuff to him. And she seems to have worked so many bad jobs that I was right there with her because I'm like, I've worked bad jobs before. If some eccentric was like, just come do this for me, even though it was a little weird. I might say yes. Oh, I mean, it's an easy gig. I don't blame her for not taking it. It's an easy gig. For taking it. Oh, yeah. 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 You said not taking it. Oh, no. Taking it. Yeah. 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 Good for her. Totally. totally. <laughs> um, okay. So then we meet Troy, her roommate. Mm-hmm. And, and Nathan ding, Fillion. Ding, 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 ding. We got the gay best friend trope. Loud no, and clear. I'm pushing back against this. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, she he is a gay best friend. Yeah. Correct. But- he, compared to so many of our others, has way more character. Oh, yeah. No, he he's he's done well. But I feel like this is the movie that people are like, we should do that. 
I feel like this is what movies are are ripping off. This is like oh the, yeah yeah okay. This is the origin point. So and people yeah, are yeah. like, we should have more of that in our movie. Yeah, I just didn't want to malign this movie for doing a much better job giving a gay character actual substance. Yeah, in the in the '90s, rather than having like a character who's just there to be like, tell me all about your love. Yeah, and uh, no, they do a great job. I really love Troy. Yeah, and it, it, he's not he's not cliche either. He doesn't have like you know one liner <laughs> aphorism. You no. know, coming off of him. He's a real person. He's he's a real person. He's kind of sagely, but he also I like how charmed he is by Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Like he's like that his whole diatribe about like being told that he's a gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> and he's Troy's also kind of like a stickler. He's like yeah. he's like quizzing at him about Alaska. Well, because he's I think he's cynical as well. Not yeah. cynical, but he's skeptical. And so, yeah, when he does that quizzing, it's like, I want a friend who is there for me like Troy's but there's there some, for me. There's some like quirk to how he does it where he's like kind of turning up the heat on him. Mm-hmm. And I just I just liked that even though he's he's now retrospectively a trope in this movie, he is a three dimensional character in this film. So, yeah, yeah, totally yeah, good. Yeah. Totally good. But the two of them basically uh, make it their job for a night to get Brendan Fraser a girlfriend. And they go out to this club that I wish existed and I, I doubt it exists. Does it, it exist? Exists. I doubt I it I want to go. There's no way it exists. It's too cool to exist. They go to Club 40s and it looks like a really nice club that's been swanked out in 1940s material. Yeah. And like, it's really cool there. Like they meet... Oh, su- subplot. Nathan Fillion's in this movie for a couple of minutes. Evil um, ex-boyfriend. Evil ex-boyfriend. And um, that's his girlfriend, right? That he left her for. Is she, No, she's not the she's not the supermodel physicist that's going to Harvard. Okay, never mind. I thought that was the same girl that Nathan Fillion cool, was with. That would be cool, but no. But anyway, so there's this girl that like starts hitting on Nathan, or on... Um, Brendan Fraser, and then Brendan Fraser has like this dance contest. Not, a, not a contest, but, but it's very dances. '90s because '90s that was the swing revival. Yeah. All those Gap commercials, you know, swing music was the big thing again. So it was very big, 1999. Big, they were big voodoo daddies all yeah. over this scene, and uh, they're they're dancing like he dances with these two blonde hotties that definitely want to have a threesome with him, <laughs> and. <laughs> and um, and then um, through this scene, we get that Alicia Silverstone has the hots. For the phrase. Yeah, because the movie was kind of hinting at that Brendan Fraser is coming on real strong to her, and that's kind of a, an obvious turnoff because if you come on too strong, then you can scare the girls away. Sure. But he's also being very boyish around here mm-hmm. and not enough of a man. And Troy has a line later in the movie that's the key. Oh, it's so the key. Eve is looking for a man, and you're just a little boy. Uh, yeah. Or something to that effect. Yeah. Oh, no. She's looking for a good man, but you're just a good boy. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes Brendan Fraser like, ah. And he immediately switches tact. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, because he's like watched his parents his whole life yeah. and he's just like, okay, I'll emulate my dad. Here. He's had his dad as a role model and realizes that he needs to grow up. And he missed the whole phase of like rebelling and having something to force you to grow up. And he never needed yep. to. And that's really good psychological uh, profiling yeah, there. I like that. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, and, and, and if you didn't think Brendan Fraser was hot before this moment, when he bandages her knee, because he he leaves the club and she, Alicia Silverstone thinks he is going to have sex with somebody else. But then he comes back and he scares her and she falls down and cuts her knee. And then he takes care of her. And when he's like doctoring her, it's like, who? And Ooh, his boy. like in that scene, his voice drops a timber. Oh, yeah. I mean, he goes he like drops maybe a whole fifth yeah. of an octave. And I was watching the movie 
as, you know, like clockwork, Sarah was watching without the headphones on and she like is watching with me and she's like, when I was younger, this is the scene that made me really go crazy for Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Now I really want to like get a cardboard cut out of Brendan Fraser and give it to Sarah. <laughs> and she's like, when he blows on her knee. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> she, she just takes out a knife and cuts her knee right there. <laughs> and so when she said that. <laughs> When she said that, I like was like, um, okay. And so I took my headphones off and I like crawled to her knee. She's like, no, not now. I don't want you to blow on my knee now. <laughs> She's like, I'm wearing jeans. I couldn't even get feel out it. of here. You're like to start ripping her pants apart. <laughs> She's like, no, not in front of the kids. This is the second time that we've had a pants rip or like a, a ripping of clothes in a moment that is like, not this moment isn't sexy, but it becomes sexy. Oh yeah. And that like tearing of clothes is like, it is the most low key bodice ripping, bodice ripping that I've ever seen. That's how you should do it. Not never bodice ripping should always be like a subversive act, not the actual bodice, but something like the bodice. Sure, exactly. It, it, it can't be so cliche, <laughs> <laughs> but I like to not even to a fault to perfection. He is perfectly polite. Yep. Because he asks her, he's like, "These plants are probably ruined," and then she's like, "Yep." And he's like, "Rip." Mm-hmm. And he waits though, and he asks, and he doesn't just do it. Um, he's kind of like if you took Jimmy Stewart and combined him with Cary Grant, because I can't see Jimmy Stewart doing that scene, but I've I can kind of see Cary Grant do it. Yeah, this I guess if he like, because Jimmy Stewart is you know, he's a gentleman. He's a gentleman, but he has wherewithal. Yeah. So it's hard. Like Brendan Fraser has no wherewithal in this movie, <laughs> but I think if if before this moment he was. Jimmy Stewart, after this moment, he is Cary Grant. Right, yeah. right. It's just like, whenever I think Jimmy Stewart, I just think, oh, gosh. <laughs> it, it, you're you're missing the third component, which is Don Knotts. Don, <laughs> like, the, the progression is Don Knotts, then Jimmy Stewart in the middle, and then Cary Grant. Is there anything more extreme? You could throw in some Kirk Douglas, um, some Rock Hudson. That's the wrong vibe, not Rock Hudson. Well, neither of them are, are more extreme than the, the people we've talked about. Than Cary Grant? Some real manliness. Are you, I don't oh, know. you're I'd thinking like manliness? See, yeah, I'd like to see Kirk Douglas and Cary Grant get in a fight. I feel like Cary Grant would like dance around him like a good boxer, and Kirk <laughs> I, Douglas is like, "What the fuck I is think this?" Cary Grant very, very, very much would just be like, uh, "Sir, I don't want to fight you. <laughs> you can hit me, and then this lady over here will take care of me. I'll be fine." <laughs> and then Kirk Douglas is like, "I am Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus." I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. Uh, so then Brendan Fraser lays it all on the line and is like, yeah. in 1961 or two, whatever year we figure out, mm-hmm. my father built this bomb shelter and I'm cuckoo pants, according to Eve when she hears it. I mean, he basically, like, the problem is that he is so honest that mm-hmm. he is, and he has very little tact. Um, but he just starts launching into basically my dad told me that I should go find a good woman and bring her down to this shelter and then she can live down there with us. And so I was trying to put myself in her position and I don't think there's any way somebody could introduce this idea to me that I wouldn't immediately think I've been hoodwinked. Right. Right. And so <laughs> I, I've watched this movie since I was really young and every time watching it then 
I had always been so on board with Brendan Fraser's path. I'm like, what? What? It's it's all true. What's what's her problem? This uh-huh. this all makes sense. He's being totally honest with her, <laughs> and now I'm watching as a grown up. Like, oh no, no, no. And this all, I think this all, as as much as there is good like raising of Brendan Fraser by his parents, I think they really didn't set him up to go outside into whatever world he was going to go into. Well, to be fair, they didn't know what kind of world he'd be stepping into. Sure. I mean, that's true. But like, let's, let's say it's you and me. Like we brought our families down into a, a bomb shelter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now let's imagine that the worst has happened. Like they have imagined they're like, there's probably mutants and like a new society and stuff like that. And you're going to have to find like other survivors that weren't affected by all of the radiation. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, where's the axes? Where's the chainsaws? Sure. Where's the body armor? No. Well, the movie is saying though, Brendan Fraser's like, wow, you guys rebuilt really quickly. Like you've like society has come back in a big way. Right. But I'm talking about, christopher walken like no i know he's he's a nut bar there's no there's no like getting any kind of veracity back into his brain of like what's going on no no i i I just mean that like if if i was christopher walken Mm -hmm. i would have prepped for a future that like you know maybe the future's okay but i would have prepped for the future where we need to fight like we're in half Sure. Life. You know what his problem is? He didn't see Night of the Living Dead. That's the thing. I was. That's <laughs> what I was thinking about. I think the only reason that we're all prepared for the horrors that might come our way. George Romero. Is George Romero. Mm-hmm. And Night of the Living Dead, 67. Yeah. He had no idea. He had no idea. Like you had seen, uh, what movies had come out um, at like that point? Like The Blob. Well, I'm thinking the, um, it's, it's not Night of the Living Dead. It's the. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Maybe he just wasn't a sci-fi fan. Yeah. Well, that one is so 1950s too, because everybody just slowly takes over people's bodies and they all look like everybody else. When was Star Trek? 66. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think. Is Christopher Walken uh, he, a sci-fi he, fan? He could he could look into the future and be like, maybe they fixed society. No, I just think there is there is something about sci-fi in the '60s that was very expansive, for right, consciousness. right? Right, right, right. Like, like where, let's where consider movies, something else. Where movies got bad, then we we also had the rise of like Heinlein and Butler, and like there were all these yeah. like. Ooh, cool. There's like all these new conceptual ideas that we really haven't been thinking of because we've been so comfortable in the 50s. Because like uh, Twilight Zone was early 60s, right? I don't know. This feels kind of like... It's in black and white, so it could be late 50s. Add us someone. Let us know. Um, Because I feel like the Twilight Zone is when it gets into like expansive, like, have you ever considered this? And I feel like Christopher Walken would be so on board with that. He's like... That could happen. And he's like terrified he's going to be the guy with the glasses that get broken when everyone gets, when he's all alone. He's like, no, I had time. There was time now. There was, was all the time I needed. Well, I think what Christopher Walken is then is what, um, like, you know, preppers, preppers are today. It's just that. I feel like preppers watch Blast from the Past and like, that goes on to something. Right, 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 right. But there's there's an element he's missing, which is like his imagination is just dealing with the everyday. Yeah. And not what is like what is imminent, but not what is possible. Right. He's only dealing with the probable, not the you know right. possible. So <laughs> Alicia Silverstone gets freaked out. Yeah. She calls uh protective services she or calls something. She calls uh some kind of like some sort of adult social worker there there is like it, it's kind of sad but there is a service like if you have a friend who's having like 
psychotic breaks and it's like a danger to themselves, there is services that you can call. And for some reason, Eve thinks he's a danger to someone. Right. Maybe she thought she, he posed a danger to her and I kind of get that, but I don't think he is dangerous. I don't think he's exhibited any danger. I think he's just at best like creepy. Uh, and yeah, but that's the thing. I, I feel like this scene does a really good job of Alicia Silverstone seeing that she was doing this out of fear, mm-hmm. which might've even been slightly justified. I think here's the thing. Everything, the, the reason why this scene is so good to me is because everything is justified. Yeah. Yeah. Where if you were in her position, you get why she's acting that way. If you were Brendan Fraser's position, you get that, you know, everybody's such a real person. Yeah. Yeah. So Brendan Fraser flees. um, (laughs) And it's so funny because he's just running away from this guy who can't keep up the whole time. (laughs) You you bring the fat orderly. He's not going to be able to keep up. Uh, So Brendan Fraser enlists the church that has now sprung up from the site that was living on top of the elevator that goes down to the bomb shelter. Right. Because Uh they freaked the... Uh, former heroin, heroin and addict out. So. Yeah, he thinks it's the second coming of Christ, basically. Uh, and so they they quickly get all the food and supplies into uh, the shelter, and then Alicia Silverstone goes looking for Adam, and she went to his hotel room and realized that he was telling the truth. Right, because, because she saw he's got all the stuff, old toothpaste and stocks and stuff. Yeah, and tell me, so he has these stocks that his father bought for him that were like IBM and Kodak and something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know a lot about stocks. You do. You're you're a man of many talents. I don't know a lot about stocks. stocks. I mean, no, I I know a very little bit about stocks. So he bought him a handful of stocks. It's not like he bought him hundreds of stocks. He bought him a few shares. No, no. So what those were were stock certificates. Oh. So like if you have purchased a certain amount of a stock, and I, I believe this is the way it worked. It's not like they give you like... A stock bucket. So is this like with, a, it's with, not with, <laughs> it's not a share. It's a CD. It's like it's like a CD. It's like it's something that'll mature. Well, it's like you know how you have a whole bunch of gigs in your computer. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. Uh, so so it's like <laughs> so they'll give you one certificate and it's like oh printed on this is like six hundred shares. Oh okay. Oh so he could have a lot of shares. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My question is, it's just been sitting with him for thirty five years. Yeah. Uh, does that mean he can just like cash out the percentage of change? Like, I don't understand how it's that valuable Whoa. because, because it's, there's a percent, like it's changed. It certainly wasn't the value it was in the sixties, but I don't know how he got so much cash. out. Well, of it. this is, this is what happens to stocks throughout the years. Basically, um, like, let's say you like Disney right now, it's at one thirty, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, it has been at 130 many times. Mm-hmm. Basically, what happens is stock rises to a point and then it splits. Yeah. And it goes back down. Rises to a point, splits. Uh-huh. Rises to a point, splits. Every single time, it's worth more and more and more money. Uh-huh. And so if you bought something a long time ago and it has like done that, like even if it's just done it like once, uh-huh. you're still way richer than you were before. Oh, okay. And so these stocks have done that many times. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Oh, so this is—is is this why grandparents buy children stocks? And like, I bought you a stock for this. And no, in they, 20 well, they years. don't do that. They buy bonds because they think bonds are going to be worth something, and it's because bonds are supposed to mature. I was bought a twenty, or I was given a twenty-dollar bond by my grandparents every birthday for like, I think, sixteen years. And now they're worth twenty-two dollars. Yes. That, oh. When 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 I got rid of them, they were worth like I think it wasn't even that. I think it was like a dollar fifty two more oh. a piece. It was it was really 
<laughs> it was I, like at the end of it, I had like a couple hundred bucks. Oh, yeah. I, I was really like excited about them and they like really hype you up for it because my grandparents could have just given me $20 and I could have just used that. <laughs> but instead I had like an extra $200 that like went towards rent when I was older, which is nice, I guess. Yeah. Fair enough. But anyway, no, those stocks would be worth something. So welcome yeah. to stock talk. <laughs> Basically, Brendan Fraser is rich as hell. Yeah. Did we just become an NPR podcast? Yes. Okay. Um, welcome to Smart Money. Is that what the show is called? Smart Money. It's yeah. I think there, there's got to be one called Smart Money. I think it's called Smart Money. I think it's on at eight o'clock. Money talk. <laughs> is it money talk? I don't know. I don't know. The guy is very confident. He's like, and now the stocks. <laughs> So Brendan Fraser basically is super rich now because of those stocks uh, and, and the baseball cards and, and everything else. Okay. Uh, so, um, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Alicia Silverstone tracks down Brendan Fraser. They find each other. They kiss each other. And they're reunited. Yeah. And so then they have the plan. They say, okay, Christopher Walken, Sissy Spacek. Lock yourselves back in here. For two months. And <laughs> Imagine if the locks broke. <laughs> they're like, fuck. <laughs> I would never lock myself down there at that point. They go and buy property and build a house uh-huh. and in two months. And I totally buy that they could have done this in two months. Oh, for sure. You yeah. know, because they have the cash to do it. Yeah. And so they. I like that phrase that Alicia Silverstone uses where she's just like, if you tell them money is no object and you mean it, then it can get done. Yeah. And so they, they build a replica of the house that they grew up in and then they slowly bring them to the surface. And the resolution is Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek can now live free in their golden years. But they are they're still the same people because Christopher Walken is still paranoid that the communists are out there and he's like planning the next yeah. like bunker and Sissy Spacek is still like making pot roast. Yeah. And it's like. Christopher Walken has just kind of got this like fake news vibe about him. He's like, yeah, Puh. yeah. As like he's he doesn't even like interrogate it. He's just like, oh, you're telling me that there's no communists out there trying to kill us. Well, that means that they hit it. Okay, they figured it out. <laughs> and then like they basically live happily ever after. It's a nice, nice, nice little movie. It is a nice movie. Good, clean, fun. Um, I think we should. What time is it? How uh, long have we been recording? Yeah, we should take a break. Let's take a break? Yeah. Yeah, let's take a break. Trope talk. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Trope Talk. It's a lot like Hitchcock's film Rope Talk. That's what I got. No, Kyle. No? No, I'll take it. I like it. No? No, I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. What's the talk about the rope? But less continuous. (laughs) It's not one shot. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Good job. Uh, Yes, it's Trip Talk. We're going to run out of rhyme soon. I know. (laughs) We've got to come up with some more portmanteaus. The trope I want to talk about is the jealous lover. Yes, because we didn't even talk about that. Yes. Okay. And I feel like jealousy is the mechanism by which love gets generated. Mm, Right? Okay. So, like, I I wouldn't love my wife if I also wasn't jealous. Yeah, you got to be a little jealous. Okay, talk to me about this. Uh, Well, with Eve, she is putting off any kind of like confrontation of her feelings of like, I'm not interested. I just, I don't care. I don't. In Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Which, how could you not be? Come on. And she's like, no, no, no. We all know you're lying to yourself. But when she sees him dancing with those girls, Mm. she gets jealous Mm -hmm. of what those girls got. And I, she's like, I want to be the one dancing with him. I think that this is a very true human thing. And mm-hmm. it is a flaw in us. But it is also sometimes something that spurns us into right or wrong action. Well, it's it's something that I'll always be uh, pretty grateful for because that's how I got my wife. 
But vice versa. Well, Sarah was getting jealous of me having any kind of interactions with other girls. And that's what spurned her of like, oh, spurned? Spurred. Well, it's what it's what made her realize that she felt something for you. And wanted to do something about it. Right. And as soon as she realized like there were other girls around, she's like, oh, no, 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 no. And then she asked me out. Well, and this is a very biological thing in us. And I think this is uh, the reason like jealousy... Jealousy can be very poisonous, but it's also something that we like to set aside because we're like, oh, this is just coming from our instincts. Mm -hmm. We're saying, no, this is mine. I want this, which is not a good thing to keep inside of you. It's something that can make you realize things, but to hold it within is is bad. Yeah, don't hold it in. Yeah. Go for it. But Alicia Silverstone's jealousy that she feels is momentary. Um, Sure. Because then it catches up to her and she's like, no, 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 no. And she like tries to talk herself out of it again. Well, I mean, what happens is she immediately, as soon as Nathan Fillion shows up, who's her ex, Mm -hmm. who she has admitted that she still has feelings for, she's like, oh, I'm jealous of Brendan Fraser, so I'm going to make a bad decision so I feel some satisfaction. Yeah, she's trying to distract herself. Right. And sometimes it can be a revenge Jealousy, like you're jealous of somebody else spending time with somebody, and so you revenge jealousy upon them. You try to make them envious of, like, sure. you, yeah. right? But that's, I don't think that's what she's doing in this. No, I think she's feeling um, insecure, and she's needing validation of yeah of somebody liking her. Right, that's exactly it. Which is, but and she knows but, she can get it from Cliff. But the comp the complicated thing about it is she knows she can get it from Brendan Fraser too, she has just, she's just too insecure and she can't be vulnerable because of that insecurity. So the easiest place to go is a place where she is actually uh, has less stake in. Yeah. And it's easier for her to go to cliff because it's, it's known territory. It's a minefield, but she's like, I've been through this minefield before I can handle it. She doesn't care for him. She just feels for him. Yeah. And she knows she can kind of use him. Yeah, yeah, basically. And Cliff, Nathan Fillion plays a great bad guy. Yeah. Like, he's he's not really much of a character in this movie. No. But um, I like every time he, like, pull, like basically, Brendan Fraser does get jealous. Mm-hmm. Because it he, works. he sweeps her away. Brendan Fraser gets jealous, and he goes and, like, confronts them very politely. Mm-hmm. And then um, Nathan Fillion tries to hit him three times, and each time Brendan Fraser just punches him once yep. and is very polite about it. <laughs> It's it's one of my favorite scenes of this movie. It's very Jimmy Grant, very Carrie yeah, Stewart. Carrie Stewart, yeah, very much so. Carrie it's Stewart. it's kind of like uh, Jimmy Grant Douglas. Yes, because of the punching. A little Spartacus in there for there, you. I think there's absolutely no Don Knotts about this scene. No knots. No, no, no knots. No knots about it. No knots. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other rom coms where jealousy is a really important plot point. I am thinking about as good as it gets. I, we, I mean, we, yeah, as good as it gets, I'm also going to bring up the best man because that was, that movie was all oh, about jealousy. Yeah. Best man that it's, everything's driven by jealousy. It's rage driven by jealousy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely best man. Um, good one. Mine needs to be a little explained a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Because Jack Nicholson wants his life to be the way that he wants it. And when something gets in the way, it's like with Helen Hunt, it's not that he's jealous that someone else is getting her attention, but there is something of like, no, I want her to be mine. Right. I think he's jealous that other people can 
can get the love from her that he wants. Yeah. Like, it's not even that he'd be, like, mad about them being friends or them, like, having loving feelings toward each other. Because also, it's it's non-sexual, but it is also yeah. sexual. But it's because Greg Kinnear's character is gay in that film. But it's also something that is... But it's, it, it, since he's not getting it, that's where his jealousy comes from. Well, it's such a brilliant like aspect and as good as it gets that he Jack Nicholson gets jealous of Simon Greg Kinnear because he gets to he spent a sensuous evening with Helen Hunt, mm-hmm. and that's all Jack Nicholson wanted was an was a sexy evening with Helen Hunt too, but he didn't get it because he's such a fuck off that he yeah. can't figure it out because <laughs> he's so bad at being good. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> what's the line? She's like, we laughed, we cried, he held me. <laughs> it was better than sex. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson can't help but be jealous of this guy that he never thought he'd be jealous of. Yeah. Yeah. And it's brilliant. It is brilliant. And in this movie, like the, the end all be all of the jealousy brings us to <sighs> Troy coming home from the club and explaining to Alicia Silverstone that uh, Brendan Fraser left with that hottie that was hitting on him and talking to him in French earlier. Not the blonde twins. They're not even twins, but, you know, for all intents and purposes. Um, But it's the, like, this sexed-up babe that she really doesn't want her going home with. Yeah. Why why did I use the word sexed-up? That's the second time I've used it in two podcasts. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, but she realizes at this point that she needs to go get him. And it's the like totally, I don't know. It it kind of turns her like before yeah. she's like ah. it commits her to like saying I, it, it. She's like I have feelings. I don't want this to happen. Not because I don't think that they're good together, but because I want him. Mm-hmm. And that realization can drive love, or can drive you to do very stupid stuff, like in The Best Man. Yes, where you go, I'm going to break off my wedding. or I'm, Not literally crazy, but it, it'll make you flip your lid. Yeah, 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 for sure. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's the jealousy in this movie. It is interesting that she kind of sees Sophie as this, like, if Sophie, he, that's her name. If he goes to be with Sophie, then it'll be over. Right, because he will have experienced, like, I... I she has this Moulin Rouge moment of, like, never! Like, <laughs> I think... Yeah, I, well, I mean, he's such a wild card that, and he's looking for a wife. Right, he's very like, well, this is my wife, we're going down underground now. Like, I, I mean, you gotta wonder, like, like, follow me down this movie, where he has sex with Sophie, and then she, she's like, I'll be your, your girlfriend, and then he slowly woos her into the point of marrying him, and then tells her that his parents are down <laughs> in the ground. Like... Like, I, I think me as that's the, the other thing jealousy does to you. You don't think straight. Mm-hmm. You're just like, OK, I could lose this person and it could they could break what I want with this person forever. Them realizing they can have something nice with someone else. Yeah. Well, I did want to talk about one other factor, and I think I'm going to do it by rewriting the movie for real. You write your first draft with your heart. You rewrite with your head. So this movie reminded me a lot of The Truman Show, which came out a year earlier. Mm-hmm. And that movie is about Jim Carrey realizing that his whole life has been a Filmed. lie. And uh, he's been in this reality show. And this the reality has been fabricated for him. And it's this kind of like allegory of Plato's cave where... 
you have this life that you thought you had, but then you realize there's a much bigger world outside. Right. And, and you kind of break out of it. And Plato's cave is just that you're sitting in a cave, but you're instead of facing the entrance, you're facing the wall. And so you're seeing shadows play across the wall that's in front of you rather than seeing the actual things that are going on outside. And so you think the shadows are what is life, yeah. basically. Um, Blast from the Past kind of gets at the vibes like this, but it always keeps it kind of like never getting too into it. Like Truman Show is very funny, but also very serious about life and yeah, very deeply philosophical. Yeah, the philosophy of this movie is uh, on the surface. Yeah, and it's fun. And uh-huh. like the movie just kind of like, you know what, let's just focus on Brendan Fraser being really charming and focus on the romance with him and Alicia Silverstone, and we can call it good. I am curious to see if there could be a version of this movie that went full Truman Show and had the romance, but then doubled down on everything else. And I think it could have mm. been, like Roger Ebert like compared this movie to Pleasantville, he called it like an inver- inverse Pleasantville, that it's 50s characters coming to modern day, not sure. modern day characters going into 50s. That makes sense, yeah. And I think you could do something like that, where it's like, we'll keep going at like the difference between 1950s culture and to today, and ask the questions of... Like, how far have we come? And like, what right. what were the differences that were holding people back back then? Because I think this movie, even though it stays light, it kind of, it never says also good things. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, we haven't, we haven't hit like the true cell phone revolution at this point in time. Right. And we like communication hasn't been completely transformed, but like when he finds out that there's a computer in the other room, he's like, Oh my gosh, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah. But this movie never like has any comparison because we don't get any of the views from the adults since he's been raised in isolation. He doesn't know what like life was actually like in this fifties compared to what life right. is actually like now. He only has but his if, house. Right. He only has his house. And I really would have like, if we were rewriting this movie, I would really like to see a, like those characters who had been stuck in isolation, like, sure, there's like, we're dealing with huge amounts of poverty. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like drugs and like, it's obvious that this side of town is like really rough for a couple of reasons, but like, I'd like them to see that and see like, Oh yeah, life is hard and we can still get the comedy. But in addition for them to see like other things that have improved and changed. Yeah. That would be really interesting to see like our world, refracted through the 1950s Mm -hmm. and how they're looking at us and being like, how can you be okay with these things Mm -hmm. happening? We, we never would have been okay with this. And it's just kind of like, that's how culture goes where it's just like, it's not a permissiveness permissiveness per se, but it's just kind of like, well, what, what can we do about it? It's a problem and we all want to have ways to fix it. Or, or it's also, maybe it was a problem that you just didn't see. Right back then. Right. And you could have gotten into like sexuality and all these really crazy things. Cause uh, I saw a really good slide where it's like, um, trans identity is not a trendy new thing. It's just, it's been eight. We can talk about it now. Uh And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who couldn't come out back then. And yeah, there's just a billion different ways you could have gone with a more serious, like Oscar caliber movie, but it didn't do it. And to be fair, I'm glad it didn't go that direction. I, I am also glad, because I'd like to see that movie, but I'm glad this one didn't go there. Yeah. Because I, can I tell you something, Ryan? Mm-hmm. 
really like this movie. Me too. I really like it. It makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of like um, kind of like a Back to the Future to me. This movie feels like there's no wasted moments. Mm-hmm. Like it's it just it just feels like it's like every scene is paced almost perfectly. Yeah, it's just it, it's a feel good movie truly. And it I, looks a, good. Yeah, and it's just yeah. it's it's got 90s-ness all over it like the music is kind of got a cheesy yeah, like yeah. 90s vibe and this was the movie. There's where, Randy Newman in there. <laughs> yeah. This was a true this is one of the great films that I always watched if it was on TV. Oh yeah, it was on TNT like 24/7. Always. Like if I was doing something and then I found that this was on is like I would like call my friends. I'm like, Sorry. I'm not coming over. <laughs> um, but it, it's Brendan to, Fraser is talking to me right now. It's to the point where I've memorized the commercial breaks. So oh, yeah. like there's a commercial break when he looks out um, when he's in the holiday Inn and he looks out at the, how high he is. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh! I like have this sense memory of like, uh, we'll be right back with blast from the past, but now a word from our sponsor, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Um, That's such a funny moment too. And there's just, it just, I felt that like, kind of kinship and familiarity with it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really glad I have that movie in my heart. And I feel bad confessing this, but I feel like I should confess it. Uh, When we were watching the movie, Sarah came down and and I, there was an issue that she and I were dealing with and I got, we got into this really dumb fight and I was saying really dumb, unsupportive things. And I I made it like a hundred times worse because I was being dumb and unsupportive and was like, I, you know how when you get a fight, and I know it, how that is. I've been that where you're just like, ah, why did I say all that? And you have that weird like pit in your stomach uh-huh. where you feel really guilty and uh-huh. like ruined. <laughs> I feel extra guilty that like we figured it out, but it had still had that lingering list of like, ah, kind of uh, get out of me. Um, and it's like, well, I guess I'm going to finish this movie. And I turned on the movie and, and it was just like, Oh, <laughs> just I feel like, better. It just picked me up right away, and I was just like, I feel bad that this movie picked me up out of this like relational problem that I was having with my wife. But there it is. This is why we watch rom coms is to make us feel good. I completely agree. And like, there was this moment where I I've been working a lot recently, mm-hmm. and it in a very not as a I guess not as serious of a way, but I was feeling just kind of rough. Even in, in the middle of this movie, I was feeling really good, but. It was kind of opposite. I, you know, when he's like watching the sunrise mm-hmm. and it's his first sunrise that he's mm-hmm. ever seen and he's just sitting there and he's obviously like been up for a while and he's kind of tired, but he's really enjoying it. Yeah. That's kind of how I was feeling where I was tired from doing work and I was staying up to watch this movie and get to do a podcast really late with you. But mm-hmm. I was just like, but also I'm seeing something beautiful. Yeah. And so this movie's like poignant moments still carried me as much of it as its light moments the movie at its core has a really wonderful thing to say basically stop and smell the roses life yeah. is short yeah don't don't just zoom by like be a ferris bueller and enjoy the life you have and it it, it never comes out and says that mm-hmm. out loud like there's that moment where he's sitting in the rain and she comes and covers him with the mm-hmm. um with the umbrella and he's just talking about how like life's kind of a miracle, but he never says, you know what? I see a lot of people around here not slowing down. And I just think that's what's really wrong with the world, right? which makes this movie less preachy to me. Yeah. And the movie, it's just the basic principle of show don't tell. And that's the thing. Writing doesn't have to be a super heady thing. It doesn't have to be super complicated. Show don't tell. All you gotta do. All you gotta do. And have a couple good actors who can pull it off. Yeah. You're 90% there. 
Well, uh, speaking of being 90% there, I think it's time we moved on to giving this movie a rom-com Oscar. <laughs> I promise I'll go 10 this time. I um, Wait, like kiss-wise? Yeah, because I went 90 and you go 10 kind of thing. Wait, what? Not ten? with me right now. No, no, oh, no. Okay. no. We'll do it off air. Yeah. That's for the bonus content. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Can I say most charming character? Yeah. Okay. I most charming so. character, Brendan Fraser. I'm just so charmed by him. I think he is not only charming, but consistent. Mm-hmm. Like his character is so consistent in this film. When And I think that is highlighted even more by the, when we see him change purposefully. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, yeah, he is... Brendan Fraser is a treasure. Mm-hmm. That's. I mean, I don't know what else to say about. Are it. you going to say same Oscar? No, we we very consistently have never given a movie the same Oscar. Mm. Uh, I was going to give it. I, I was going to give it not most charming. I was trying to think of something to give Brendan Fraser. Um, I think I want to give this movie most feel good mm. because. This, like we said many times, this movie's not trying to make you really dig deep into your soul and think, how are you living your life? Mm -hmm. It just says, hey, you can feel good. You don't, you don't have to like think too hard about me right now. I'm just going to show you that this guy is very charming and kind and nice. And that's great. It doesn't even say you have to be too. Yeah. Um, I think the experience of this movie is we're in a really hot room right now. It's late at night and yet still very hot. So very warm. Uh, I think about, I'm, I'm assuming it's summer right now. So you guys are probably in, in warm space, spice, spice, a warm spice, a warm spice sitting in, uh, imagine, okay. You're, you're feeling really warm right now. Uh You're feeling kind of uncomfortable and sweaty. I can feel the sweat. This movie is like someone comes up to you Mm -hmm. and gives you this like 20 ounce frappuccino. Mm. Of your favorite flavor, non dairy, non dairy. Oh. It, it it is it is what your stomach needs. Oh. And it tastes good, and it's icy, and it brings your body temperature down. And mm-hmm. it's one of those magic Starbucks drinks where it's like, and that clinches it for the day where you Ooh. where you feel like cool the rest of the day. It goes right down to your toes. Yes, that's what this movie is. Where it's like this movie gives me all the comfort I needed. Yeah. Me too. I I will say, I I just want to put this note before we uh, talked about love anymore, but the, um, there was something about this movie that was like looking back at the fifties as like a time of like make America great again, ishness Uh to it that I, I was expecting to not like about the movie, Mm -hmm. but I really think that the movie being such a parody doesn't, doesn't, isn't like, yeah, the fifties was perfect and that's what's wrong with the nineties. Right. Um, it, it didn't feel like that to me. What did it feel like? I think it felt more like in a bubble, the fifties is a really nice place. Right. And it, and it can produce something nice. Right. But only in a bubble. Yeah. And <laughs> like your statement and I'm like, uh, 
for more, go to Pleasantville. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> where we'll get all into it. Like this is this is your uh, Wikipedia deep dive where you go from article to article. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you if you're interested in this idea, go to Pleasantville and watch it. So I must ask. In the world of things where there's Brendan's and there's Frasers and there's Alicia's and there's Silverstones and there's Dave's and there's Foley's, I must Dave ask, Foley, yeah. who would you fall in love with? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. <laughs> but mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, I love, I love you. I know. I was thinking a lot about this in this movie because I I know it's well. See again, I always say like I know it's not Alicia Silverstone, but then I I come back and I'm like, well, she's. She does a lot for this person and she's complicated and she makes some mistakes, but that doesn't mean I don't love her. Um, I'm going to say not Christopher Walken. (laughs) (laughs) I I like him a lot in this movie, but I know I wouldn't fall in love with him. You're saying not Christopher Walken as in his inverse? Like that's the anti-Christopher Walken? I think I'm just going to say Brendan Fraser because I am so, my pants were literally charmed off by him because it was so warm in my place that I had to take my pants off. I like it. I like it. Totally. Totally. He's yeah. He's charming. He's beautiful. He's mm. everything a growing man needs. <laughs> Mine is, you know, I, I I can't I can't go with Alicia Silverstone, uh, just because there's a little bit too much. Um, uh, what's the word? I mean, she's like into hair and butts and legs. She so. she's a self admitted. Um, shallow person she's a little shallow for me and i don't know i don't think i'd be I would are you saying feel, you don't like butts no are you saying you don't no, like hair no i feel since i don't have hair i feel like <laughs> you I don't would, have a butt i don't think i'd be enough for her and that would just get in the way oh yeah i get that so i don't want to yeah. i don't yeah. do that so instead mm-hmm. i'm going with heather the other blonde dancer that danced with uh brendan fraser at wait the, Club the one that, with the, the short hair one with the short hair or the long hair? Uh, the long hair. She's like, I'm Heather. And Ugh. I just think, you know, I think there's something <laughs> I'm there. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yuck your yum right there. I, I think there's something there. I think she could really type my keyboard. So She could really type your keyboard? Yeah. What does that mean? It means she'd push my buttons in a good way. Okay. I'd push the delete button. <laughs> um, I'd push the enter button. The yes key. Whoa. Hey. hey yo. Um... Yeah, see, for me, if I was going out of the two of them, I'm going with the short hair one. Sure, I, I just think there's some mystery to Heather. So but wait, you so never know. so in this movie, full of people, this is like my Rosalind Chow pick the other day. Yeah, but in my in this movie, full of these great characters, yep. Yep. you're like, well, I guess somebody with some mystery. Yeah, yeah, I think there's some potential. I know that she can dance really well, and you know, I can sweep her off her feet. And well, for that, you'd have to dance. Yeah, God, this movie made me feel so guilty. I'm like, shit, I, I have not taken Sarah I, out dancing. I, God damn it. I barely know any French <laughs> phrases. I haven't danced as much as I need I know to. for a fact Sarah loves to go dancing, and I have been so negligent. I'm sorry. That's okay. The world's going to be opening back up, and we can we can get you some lessons, eh? That'll be fun. Yeah, we'll we go should together. Go dancing. We should go dancing. Take your pregnant wife dancing. 
That's hard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, but I want to do it. Um, all right. Well, Ryan, do we have any letters? Back. Do we have any letters this week? Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. All right. So we got a message from um, the podcast Tickets, Please. And uh, this is this is uh, Catherine and Alexa, and they had some thoughts on our discussion of Nancy Myers' sets uh, from our our what was that movie? Something's got to give. And it's complicated. And it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about a couple. Well, and the holiday. Yeah, we talked about quite a few of the NM. Yeah, at this point. So we're gonna play that now. We recently had a pretty in-depth conversation about Nancy Meyer's set design, not just her kitchens, but overall, because you were listening to an episode of A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms, but they're rom-com gents on Instagram, which by the way, if you guys don't follow them, you should. They're great and adorable. So you were listening to one of their episodes and one of the guys was talking about Nancy's set design. And then we got into a DM conversation with him about this topic. Yeah, because I think there can be a misconception and one and in their discussion it seemed like they were going back and forth about how they felt about her design style because there can be an instinct to think it's very universal across her movies, but what we talked about and what we read, it seems as though she takes a great deal of time and thought into what her sets and her kitchens look like for different characters. So even though they all have that picturesque kind of beautiful catalog kitchen look, they're usually, or there always is a thought behind it and more depth based on her characters. I I don't want to speak for all women, but like I can speak for at least you and I, we have our actual self and our actual lives. And then we have our ideal self and our ideal lives. And these sets these kitchens are almost like the kitchen that our ideal self would have. And there's something steadying about that because of course there's going to be conflict, but regardless of what the conflict is, they're consistently coming back to a really stable, grounding, almost idealized home. And that's what helps us feel like everything isn't falling apart. And specifically, I love and it's complicated how she talks about how she's saved for this house her whole life. And I love that Nancy Myers is almost calling out that that's the dream. That's what we want. We want the, be, the ability to work our lives to make something as beautiful as Jane has. And then she's still even getting more of what she wants and she saved her whole life for it. So that was Catherine and Alexa. And... Uh, Ryan, why don't, since you've been the one talking to them on Instagram, why don't you respond first? Uh, I will respond by saying thank you for validating my side because I feel like that's kind of what they're saying. But I also think it gives room for your criticism of of it all, of you're saying, but it is a fantasy because if I'm reflecting your opinion correctly, it's not that you have a problem with the wonderfully bespoke designed kitchens. It's that they don't look lived in. They don't look real to you. Um, there is that. I actually don't mind the, I love the fact that like she thinks it's obvious, like, like if you get Kate Winslet's kitchen, I don't know if they listen to the holiday episode, but if you have Kate Winslet's kitchen mm-hmm. versus, um, 
uh, Cameron Diaz's kitchen. Yeah. Like we, we get both of those kitchens yeah. and like we get both of their houses. They're manufactured to fit their characters perfectly. Yeah. Right. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I love when spaces fit the characters. I think the holiday is the best example of that. Sure. But I just don't like that it feels manufactured. I think the production design is flawless in a bad way, not flawless in a good way. And and that's just me. Like, cause, like Are I, you just looking for something more like Bilbo's Kitchen? No, 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 no. Again, the the kitchen should fit the character, not my kitchen that I want. And I will also say, not just women, Ryan and I also have idealized kitchens. Um, I What I think when I watch a Nancy Myers film is that she has set up this perfect bespoke kitchen for this character. And it feels very much of each of those characters. I mm-hmm. think expertly so. Mm-hmm. I do think that it doesn't look like they live in them, though. Right. Or it, it feels like they have maids cleaning up after them all the yeah. time. Yeah, and and I think that goes to, like, the fantastical elements of all Nancy Myers movies, is mm-hmm. that they're not super grounded in reality. And no. the kitchen is actually just a really good example of it. Like, no one has a kitchen this perfect. Come on. Sure. <laughs> and, and you know, there's I, I think there's something very cathartic in that. Yeah. I think um, you can live vicariously through those kitchens and enjoy yourself. It's, it's not my favorite thing though, because like I, like you brought up Bilbo earlier when, when I'm watching something that I will say Peter Jackson and the people at Weta who built the Hobbit house, Mm -hmm. they were crafting it to look exactly like Bilbo's house. Right. Right. In this very same way, in a very fantastical way. But is it a space that you're like, you know, I kind of want my sink to be kind of a little Bilbo-ish? Like, well, no, no. do you get and, some and, design and again, influence? I, I'm saying what I can do is like find that fantasy love for it and yeah. be like, oh, I wish I lived there. I yeah. think that's beautiful. And that's part of the reason why we go to the movies. Yeah. But it also does feel like somebody lives in this place. There's mess. There's like cheeses stacked up everywhere. Yeah. There's like dirty dishes. There's, uh, you know, there's f- fire uh, logs that have been burned and mm-hmm. are in the fireplace. So it feels like they didn't just step onto a set Mm -hmm. and, and, but I really like that they wrote in and I'm glad you guys like those movies. Don't let me yuck your gum. I I really like that you guys wrote in and had this conversation because I think it just validates. They talked in? Did they talk in? They, they talked it in. Yeah. I I think it does validate what we were guessing at of like, there is a phenomenon to the Nancy Myers kitchen and it is got a lot of baggage to it. Not bad Mm -hmm. baggage necessarily, but there's a lot of, storytelling but also kind of myth making in the sense that this is a fantastical place in a really weird sense and i just i, I think, think there's it's an interesting building. phenomenon i think there's character building i don't think that there's any story building sure for you but I, i'm just saying for other people coming in this to i think these i think you hit on myth making i think the like i i, I think i i don't know if it's maybe they were it seemed like they were hinting that uh, nancy myers is self-aware enough to be like you have to work your whole life in order to get to this point, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is a good fantasy. I think it's a truer fantasy. I think Um, it's a noble thing. I think it's a totally noble thing. Oh no, I think it's completely noble, but also it kind of sucks that you have to work your entire life to enjoy a kitchen. kitchen. But, um, in next week's movie, 
Are we going to find a really cool kitchen? I don't know. It's Palm Springs. Hey! Hey! Uh, this month on Patreon, Palm Springs ended up taking the cake for our patron-picked film. You can also come help us pick films at our Patreon. I'm going to use a lot of P's here. If you just step on over, it's patreon.com slash romcom gents. Come check us out. Like, you could just... You could just help us pick a movie. Help us pick a movie. Yeah. This month for July, the Patreon poll. I want another P. The Patreon poll pays. <laughs> pays. We've got Beginners with Ewan McGregor. We've got The Other Woman with, with not Ewan people. McGregor. We've got High Fidelity with John Cusack. Correct. And we've got Shakespeare in Love with Elizabeth, Queen Bennett. of England. <laughs> So that's Patreon. You get to pick the movie. The voters this month picked uh, Palm Springs. We're happy mm-hmm. to watch it. And that's what we're watching next week. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this Groundhog Day-like phenom. Um, in addition to the poll, did you have any run-ins with the train man this week? Oh, the train man. I thought, you know, I just didn't want to talk about him once. I just didn't. But can I tell you something? Hmm. When I Remember the centipede that I brought up earlier mm. on in the show? Mm. He was there? Well, I found... Under your bed? I found on my bed, Ooh. near all of the smashed legs, Ooh. your essay. Oh. So what I think is the train man not only left the essay, but he put a book in my bed. God. Train man! I probably just woke up your baby. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did. You wrote an essay that after I cleared off all of the legs... Um, that was very cool. It was kind of about the fact that we all kind of have a little bit of a critic in us, mm-hmm. but how, you know, movies aren't made to be criticized. They're made for moviegoers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just like kind of a contemplation that I often do, like when I'm at the theaters where I'm like, turn off your critic brain, mm. try to enjoy this movie and then think about it afterwards. Yeah. And it's really hard to do. Yeah. And ultimately I think people are like, oh, well the critics are, you know, whatever they, they, they have this kind of sensibility. And I'm like, you're a critic too. Right. But you also know? our sensibility isn't the best sensibility. But it's you're just, just not pedantic. Yeah. 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 We're just, <laughs> we're just pedantic. You know, but you have taste and you have things that you're interested in or not interested in. Mm-hmm. And, and I, those are all legitimate too. Yeah. And so if you want to learn more, go to patreon.com so you can read the essay among many other essays. We have weekly essays where we talk about very interesting things. Yeah. And we have um, bonus episodes like this month we're doing In the Heights. Last month it was on the video game portal. And so mm-hmm. we're all over the place. We're a couple of random dudes. In the Heights. A couple of rude random dudes. <laughs> rude screwed two mountain dudes. <laughs> Does it call us mountain dudes? Yeah. I love it. Uh, so yeah, that's our Patreon. Uh, if you support us through Patreon, that means you're helping us feed our children, which is really helpful. And I have one coming up very soon. And yeah. well, it, she, you know, it's, there's it's, fetus. So there is feeding. Re- really, what <laughs> what you are doing is helping feed Robin right now, yeah. who is definitely eating a little bit more than she usually does because she's, she's got to keep that baby alive. She's and so grateful. help me feed Robin. Yeah. Uh, you can also write to us like uh, these guys did. You can DM us on Instagram or you can write to us at romcomgents at gmail.com. You if, can, you, if you have thoughts, you can just send us a voice memo like they did and we'll play it on the air. Just yeah, like sure, sure. Um, uh, you can also follow us at, yeah, not too long. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at romcomgents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. God, that was a lot of stuff. Well, like a nuclear bomb, I think... You're just the hottest. Oh, oh. Um, 
I'd live with you in a bunker for at least a month because I also love you. <laughs> no, all 35 years. All 35 oh, okay, years. Okay. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs>